Today's episode is sponsored by Needle Sharp. Needle Sharp is a subscription service that lets you sew your own style with carefully curated sewing kits sent directly to your door. Each month, they pick a fabulous sewing pattern from independent pattern companies, then pair high-quality fabrics to that pattern, gather all the notions you need, and put it in one convenient box. Let Needle Sharp do all the hard work for you so you can get straight to the fun part, sewing your own clothes. Thank you so much, Needle Sharp. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 143 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a retail yarn and fabric store with my guests, Joelle Hoverson and Paige Marchese Norman. Joelle and Paige, along with Jennifer Hoverson Yonke, are co-owners of Pearl Soho, a fiber arts supply company that brings a modern sensibility to traditional needle crafts. Joelle began her career with an MFA in painting from Yale University School of Art in 1996. From there, she moved to New York City and got deeply involved in styling and art directing, ending up as senior style editor for Martha Stewart Living. During those years, she discovered a love for knitting and for natural fibers and was inspired to open Pearl Soho in 2002. Recently married, Joelle and her husband share their time between Manhattan and their home in Easton, Connecticut, where she enjoys painting, making ceramics, gardening, her two white dogs, and of course, knitting. Joelle Hoverson, welcome. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for being here. Paige Marchese Norman's path also brought her to Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, where she was one of its earliest employees. She spent 13 years there in numerous creative roles, ending in the position of editorial director of decorating at Martha Stewart Living. Paige has also studied metalsmithing and apprenticed with a master ceramicist has been a contributing editor to several important publications, has created advertising and products for major UK brands, has styled and art-directed several lifestyle and cookbooks, and was the founding creative director of Sprinkles Cupcakes. Paige joined Pearl Soho in 2008 as a co-owner. She lives in Fairfield, Connecticut with her husband, her 13-year-old daughter, and their Weimarana Willow. She also loves to garden, craft, cook, and travel. Paige, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you both here. And I'd love to begin by talking a little bit about the story of Pearl Soho. And I know that that begins with you, Joelle. So um, let's start sort of way back in the beginning. Where did you grow up? Um, well, it's sort of a not a simple answer. We moved around a lot um, as when I was young. And um, I would say primarily I grew up in the Bay Area and Seattle. Um, and what did you end up studying undergrad? I, I feel like you have, do you have two undergrad degrees? Yeah, I do. Um, I had, I went first to Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts. And um, there I studied political science. So I have a BA in political science from there. And then um, a few years later, um, when I was living in San Francisco, I decided to return to school and I pursued a BFA at the San Francisco Art Institute. I did a BFA in painting. 
Okay. So there must have been something that said to you, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm like on the wrong path or something. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because it's an unusual person mm-hmm. who decides to get a second undergraduate degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I always loved art, um, making things and making art my whole life. And, um, you know, that was always a really consistent part of uh, my life. Um, and including even when I was at Mount Holyoke, I always took a lot of art classes there, but I think, um, at that time I was really young and also just felt like I needed to do something more serious with my life because I didn't really take uh, my art making very seriously. It just seemed like sort of like fun and a hobby or, you know, more just personal interest. And so um, after graduating um, from Mount Holyoke, you know, if you study political science, it's kind of like a precursor to uh, law school or something of that nature. And I did uh, work for a lawyer for a little while after I graduated, and I just did not find it very inspiring. Um, And so after I moved back to the West Coast and lived in San Francisco, I just sort of found my way to art school and, you know, it really was the right thing for me to do okay. at that time. Yeah. And then you came out East and went to Yale to get your MFA. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and, I did. And then did you feel like you were going to be a painter? I did. Yes. I, um, that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the program at Yale, but it, it's a very intense program and, you know, everyone there is going there with that. Um, intention. And uh, when we all, you know, all 20 of my classmates and I graduated, that was all of our intention to, you know, go be a painter. And, you know, obviously being a painter is a extremely competitive field. And, you know, you need a lot of time and you need uh, a certain life. And, you know, having a job and being a painter is a pretty hard thing to juggle. Yeah. Uh, um, so when I, um, after, when I graduated, I did move directly to New York city and, you know, was just trying to do the sort of typical young artist thing of like, get a job, have a space in your apartment where you can paint and, you know, juggle it all. And one of the jobs I ended up doing was, um, painting sets and things like that at Martha Stewart living. And, um, and in doing that, I, started making connections with people there, obviously. And um, the work was really fun and interesting. And the um, community of people at Martha Stewart, especially at that time, was like, was so creative and amazing. And it just sort of, I, it just drew me in. And um, so I um, ended up doing that for work for several years and kind of leaving painting on the side for a while. Yeah. Was it sort of like an introduction to the idea that like, not like uh, the combination maybe between art and business or art and commerce or art, you know, sort of applied in a, in a different sort of way, you know, like not just necessarily just making fine art, but art sort of seen in a, in a different sort of context, I guess. Yeah, I think um, at Martha Stewart Living, the the vision of crafting was extremely elevated and the materials were really elevated and, you know, everything we did was really inspiring and the best possible, you know, um, 
materials and techniques and um, you know the photography to represent the work we had done all of it was like so artful and considered and beautiful it was really inspiring and really opened my eyes that you could bring a really high level of integrity to things of that nature you know it doesn't have to be limited to just like painting or you know the traditional mm -hmm. like high arts and it was really inspiring. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that's what we all loved so much about Martha, especially Martha back then. And um, yeah, bringing that high level, that high standard and integrity, as you said, I think that's that captures it really well. Um, but okay, so that be that as it may, you, you sort of left painting behind. Did you? Um, did you sort of just decide? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get rid of all my painting stuff and just like move on and um, and and just not be a painter. I mean, like to what degree did you really like leave painting behind here? I, there was a time when I did that, but it was after I uh, okay. stopped working at Martha. Okay. So, so the whole time I worked there, I you were was still, still okay. like identifying myself that way. Yeah. You were still being, but you were still both, both identities. Okay, right. And, mm -hmm. um, and then at what point were you like, okay, wait, I want to open a store? Um, that was after I left Martha. Okay. So I, I worked there for four years and, um, in the end, I just really felt like I need to get back to my painting, you know, and okay. so I, I did, I, I left the job full time, and I started doing freelance styling and, and try juggling freelance work with a studio and painting and studio. And, um, uh, and in the meantime, I had started knitting when I worked at Martha, I kind of really finally learned how to actually knit not just kind of sitting beside my grandmother for 10 minutes um, and knitting with her you know and um some of the materials that we used um in the story at the when we did the to knit story at martha really inspired me and it was actually some yarn from monostel uruguay and uh it's so different than the yarn that i was familiar with um, before that story, you know, before it was always just, you know, what my grandmother used, which was not particularly anything special. And um, I was really inspired by those materials. So when I um, started knitting, I was just always looking for those kind of fibers that are kind of more handmade looking or hand dyed or something very special about them. And uh, they're kind of hard to find at that time. But obviously, Manastoy Uruguay was very prevalent. You could find it. So I knit a lot with that yarn. And 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 after so after I left Martha, I um, was on the road a lot for the styling work I was doing. And um, I was knitting a lot while I was on the road. Cause it's such a great travel thing to do. And it, it just really, I just got so, I just fell in love with it. It was so, um, just a wonderful thing to do. And I started thinking about a store and, you know, as a stylist, you're kind of shopping a lot all the time, trying to find things for stories and whatnot. And you're in the, in the city in New York, there's a whole world of retail stores that are these special stores that, you know, if you're going to do a story about X, you're going to go find the store that has that, like the really good store. And when you go in, it's, you know, all these independently owned 
shops with a vision and it's it's a pretty cool world and I was really I kept looking for where's the great knitting store that goes you yeah. know with these other stores and um, there just really wasn't one that was really resonating with me you know there were a couple that were better than others and but they just weren't quite like what I wanted and it just got me thinking and um, you know I had a day where I thought you know what I should do this I should open a, a yarn shop and that was when I decided like okay I'm gonna give all my painting stuff away okay. to <laughs> some friends who paint and I'm going to get rid of my studio and I'm going to you know, build this knitting store. And so that was sort of how that happened. And how is it going to be different? I mean, I, I wasn't sort of so much in the crafting scene, you know, in 2002, 2001, mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, w- I was a crafter, but I wasn't, you know, in the business side of things. So um, I don't really know what the scene was like. And I, so, you know, what what was the vision for this? Like, obviously, you were, you wanted these special yarns that were a mm-hmm. little harder to find. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in addition to that, sort of what did you envision it was going to be like? Um, well, I really envisioned a shop that um, – when you went in, you felt like the shop had a vision. Most of the shops, with the exception of one in particular, um, were more just kind of like a bunch of yarn and a bunch of tools and, you know, somebody working there, but it didn't, there was never really a vision. It's just kind of like, here's where you get some materials. It would be kind of the difference between... You know, I don't know if you ever went to Murray's Cheese Shop in Soho um, or over in the West Village in New York, but it's this amazing shop where you buy the best cheese in the world and you go in and you feel like you're really somewhere special. Um, It'd be the difference between that and just like going to the grocery store where they happen to have some nice cheese, but they also, it's just sort of because they sell it. It's not like their passion and their vision. And so I wanted the store to really have a point of view with of natural fibers, lots of color. Like when you walk in, you felt something. And this shop I ended up finding used to be a butcher store on Sullivan Street, New York. And it had this kind of old world quality and it felt intimate and you, know, you could really just like walk in and feel all this color around you. And also just I wanted the shop to be really welcoming and that when people came in, they felt that they were going to be able to create something. And um, one of the jobs I worked in as an art student was I worked in a lot of art supply stores uh, as a student. And there's always this kind of intimidation factor of going into those stores if you're not really well versed in the materials where you're like oh am I really like can I go in there (laughs) um and you know there's an intimidation factor and and I really wanted to make sure that the shop didn't have that quality that you could come in and you felt like even if you're not in the club yeah (laughs) yeah definitely and and you know just people had time for you they welcome you they're happy to see you and also that like we're there to open up the techniques and teach and share and make it possible because that was to me the thing I really loved about knitting was it's so different than painting in that 
it is like you have your needle with the stitches on it and you put the needle in and you wrap the yarn around the other needle and you move it over and that's knitting. It's very simple. It's not this vast thing that you have to reinvent for your own self every time. Right. It's just, it's a really simple thing. And so I felt really that I wanted to share that and how simple that was with people and just let them know, like, of course you can do this and, you know, just share all that knowledge. So right. that was, that was the vision. Mm-hmm. I see. And, and was your sister part of this from the beginning or was it really just you in the very beginning? No, it was just me in the very beginning. I also had the vision that it would be a little store that I would maybe get one employee to help out so I could eventually take weekends off or something. And, but it, it just, the time of when I opened the shop was a time where people were very hungry for yarn and it was, uh, became really busy right away. So it was kind of, um, head spinning first year of just trying to figure out even how to find employees and, you know, all those things that go along with having a business um, that I never considered. And so, and that was also when, you know, the internet was becoming more visual. Uh, when I first opened the store, we had sort of, I had a page online that just had the address and the hours and, Sure. Um, yeah, it was 2002. Know, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was very basic. And, you know, people are like, you need a website. You need a website. It's like, I have a website. I have this page, you know. And um, <laughs> at a certain point in time um, in that first year, I realized like, oh, I think I really, I need a website where you sell things. And, um, and my sister and I had always talked about, oh, wouldn't it be so fun to work together? And I'll, you know, that kind of conversation. And she was really kind of tired of her job, which she was um, teaching uh, junior high math out in California. And, and we just started doing some research and it became evident that it would be great to work together if she could um, kind of run the back end part of the website in terms of packing, you know, receiving orders, packing them and sending them out. And so that was how she came into the business. And we, we launched that about a year after, maybe a little more than a year after opening the retail shop. Wow. So, so e-commerce was, has really been part of this picture almost from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. And there were no, the, I mean, the whole, the internet was so different. That oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's been hard to describe. <laughs> um, you know, we had to find someone to build the shop from scratch. There were no platforms. Right, um, right. You know, there there were other yarn websites, but, you know, I was looking at them going, these should be, we can really simplify how we do this and people should be able to shop by fiber or by weight. And, you know, and those were like novel concepts in our world. I'm sure there are a lot of websites that were doing things of that nature, but not really in the knitting world. Yeah. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, NeedleSharp. With NeedleSharp, you get a choice of four different price points with four different independent patterns, all of them based on a monthly theme. And once you pick your pattern, you get to choose one of three different fabrics. And once, once you've locked in your fabric, 
They do everything else. They find the buttons, the zipper, the interfacing, the needle, the thread, everything you need to complete that pattern. And then the box ships out on the first of the month. They're super careful about picking out patterns to make sure they're flattering on lots of different body types and that they appeal to lots of different skill levels. And they also make a point of not repeating themes, at least not for a couple of years. The idea is that when you're a subscriber, you'll be able to build an entire me-made wardrobe, minus underwear and bras, because there are already kits out there for those. So you'll get a bunch of separates, dresses, jackets, and layering pieces. And if you're a subscriber for a whole year or so, they've basically provided you with a me-made capsule wardrobe, which is super cool. The fabrics for each box are hand-selected and carefully chosen to match the patterns. So in that way, they're really trying to help a new sewer learn how to match fabrics to patterns. Because making mistakes on that side of things can really make beginners feel like they can't sew, when in fact, it was just a fabric issue. Plus, within the three options of fabrics for each box, they really try to have a neutral, a print, and a bold color. That way, it's like they can appeal to people with different styles. And they also provide extra fabric to match prints or to account for nap. Needle Sharp is also really proud to be size inclusive. So in December of last year, they introduced a curvy box that includes patterns that range up to size 30 because size should not limit your sewing. And there's no obligation or initial sign up fee or anything like that for subscription boxes. So you can upgrade or you can downgrade between the four options if you want to. And that means that you could sign up and only get one box a year if you wanted, depending on how quickly you sew or how the styles fit into your life. Needle Sharp offers discounts for prepaying. So you get 10% off for getting a three box pack, which is pretty sweet, or 15% off for six boxes and 20% off if you want to go in for the whole year, which is 12 boxes. That should definitely keep you busy. So I think Needle Sharp is a pretty cool service. I subscribe to their newsletter and I am going to order a box soon and I think you might want to check it out. So thank you so much, Needle Sharp, for sponsoring this episode. And now back to my conversation with Joelle and Paige. And so Paige, you came into the business several years later, but you knew Joelle because you had shared an office with her at Martha Stewart. Yes. It was um, a fun time for us. <laughs> yeah. So talk a little bit. I know you, we had mentioned in the intro that you were one of the early empl- or earliest employees at Martha Stewart. Talk a little bit about your time there and um, sort of what it was like working there um, in those very early years and um, what you sort of gained from that experience. Yeah, it was uh, quite amazing. And funnily enough, I had the same beginning that Joelle did, um, you know, did art in in um, college, but then took some law classes and somehow got it in my head that I wanted to go to law school. So I worked for a lawyer first out of school. So funny. And, and within three months, I realized that it was not the right thing for me. And it was actually when Martha had just launched her magazine and I would run down to the newsstand in the big 
building where I worked in Manhattan and, and get the issues and go home and make everything in them and cooking and bring it into the lawyers. And, you know, that was where my passion was. And so I, uh, I wrote Martha a letter basically saying, you know, growing up, I, I sewed all my own clothes and I gardened and I cooked and crafted and all this stuff. And I would just love to be a part of your magazine. And so I joined early on when it was, um, it was, it was just pretty amazing. As Joelle said, the group of people working there weren't editors necessarily. They were all kind of artists in their own right. And I think that was one of the amazing things about it that, um, we all came at it from a different angle and just, a, a pure passion for whatever the subject was that we were covering or researching. It was a, a small group at that point, so we would spend sometimes a year researching the subject or testing the subject or crafting whatever it was to make sure we found the right experts in the field or were able to perfect the craft ourselves or if it was in the cooking department, which I helped out on as well, and they sent me to cooking school for a while. It's, it's everything... It was you were just wanted it to be the best it could be, and and as Joel said, working with all these amazing photographers, and a lot of them were young at the time, and Joel and I are still friends with a lot of them, and we all say we kind of grew up together in this wonderful creative world that was Martha Stewart. So uh, yeah, that's so wonderful. What a like yeah, it was like um, an incubator, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. And and I know your wedding was like completely like <laughs> photographed and <laughs> appeared it, on the pages it, of Martha Stewart as well. It was, uh, <laughs> we look back at it and laugh because that's, Joelle, that's when you joined, right? And yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, uh, I'm not a very, um, let's just say had I not been working there, I, I I think I would have had a very small, you know, at home wedding, you know, where I grew up in the Hudson Valley, very low key. And um, it turned into kind of a circus. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into a Martha Stewart wedding. <laughs> totally. And it was, I was kind of working on my own, you know, I, it was my job as well as many other, it just was, it was pretty funny. I, I look back on it now and just think, oh, well, there was a meeting with 10 people and, you know, how I should wear my hair. You know? <laughs> and I just kept saying, I just wanted in a ponytail. You know? So, um, so that's when Joelle came in and I think she was probably like, Oh my gracious, you know, what is, what's going on? Who is Paige? And, um, but it was, it was, it was fun. And it um, ended up being a really fun party. We all just danced until all nights of the hour because I think it had been so intense for everyone. Right. But, uh, we just let loose that night. So oh that was gosh. definitely memorable for sure. So yeah. um so the two of you had shared this office and so you knew each other and I'm just wondering how it came to be in two thousand and eight that you um became a, a co owner at Pearl Soho. Had you like been working there part time or just kept in touch with Joelle and you know, it was time for a career change or what, what led to that? Yeah, well, my memory, and Joelle, you can mm -hmm. chime in here, <laughs> is that um, I was kind of back and forth 
I was in with my Martha career. I was in New York for a chunk of four years, and then my husband and I moved to London, and so I was the London editor and worked with other companies. And I came back to New York, and that's when Joelle and I shared an office. And then I ended up moving to the West Coast and opening uh, the West Coast office. And I believe it was on my trips back, Joelle, that you um, opened the shop, and you said to me several times, please come join me. <laughs> and I, I had just had a baby and I know, and, and Martha had asked me to come back t- uh, to launch a new magazine. And so I think I remember you asking me right after I had committed to that. And I thought, Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? And so I saw the launch of the magazine through. And, and at that point, my daughter was about two and a half. And I really, um, I think was just ready for a change and obviously really um, excited to um, help Joelle grow the business in, in an exciting way. So that's how that came about. You've been part of this ever since. And um, and so Pearl Soho, we should just say, moved um, from the Sullivan Street little tiny former butcher shop space to where it is now. And was that a few a few years in, two years in or – I think it's about seven oh, years. A few, okay, a little longer. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, More than that, actually. Well, it's hard. The timeline is all mixed up in my head, but it was we were on Sullivan Street for quite some time. Okay. And and there were was it two separate shops? There was like Pearl yeah. Soho and Pearl Patchwork, and then they merged. Yeah. Yeah, so we had, it was right um, before Paige came and joined. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, I, oh, Open with Pearl Soho or Pearl. It was called Pearl at the time. And then a couple years later, um, right before Paige joined, I opened Pearl Patchwork a couple doors down on Sullivan Street as well, another super tiny shop. And um, that was where we sold uh, fabric. We were just going kind of crazy because the spaces were so tiny. I don't know if you ever went to either one of them, but I think... Pearl, Pearl, the knitting shop, was about 400 square feet in the front of the store, and then the back was like 50 square feet, <laughs> the like so-called office and the bathroom and the little tiny sink. And then the fabric shop, I think, was even smaller. So we were just – it was very hard to work under that like tight space with all the customers and everything. And we were also um, – you know, kind of running back and forth between two stores all the time. And staffing is hard, you know, because you want your team all doing kind of working together, you know. So we started just looking around for a bigger space and um, and then we found it. And so then we moved, I think it was um, nine years ago, basically, yeah. into the space on Broom Street because we have we're coming on our ninth year of the lease this month. Okay. It was a April 1st that we opened there, I believe. Yes, I believe so. It was April for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that became sort of the combined one, got a new name of Pearl Soho. Yeah. Yeah. Pearl Soho. And, you know, we our website had always been pearlsoho.com. Okay. And um, we thought, and everyone would just come in the store and say, oh, I'm at Pearl Soho, you know. And I thought, see. Why don't, why don't we just. <laughs> Call it, that. call it that <laughs> right. and you know and in obviously in the knitting world there are a lot of pearl this and pearl that right and 
that we should probably just make it really clear who we are. <laughs> right, right. And um, and then as far as the e-commerce side of things, I'm imagining that um, your sister Jennifer at a certain point um, fulfilling the orders out of probably her home was not going to cut it. <laughs> um, and I know that you have, um, you have a warehouse and, and now a new one in California. So, um, so talk a little bit about that side of it and, and sort of that expansion. And, and that is also open to the public. And I think if people, um, you know, people really associate Pearl Soho with the Soho um, store, which, you know, although obviously much bigger than those original ones on Sullivan Street is is still like it's not a huge store if you, you know, are used no. to going shopping outside of New York City, right? It's yeah. still very yeah. small. It's New York City size. Um, but yeah. the one in California is really, really big. And so I yeah. think people would be maybe surprised who haven't been out there at how spacious it is um, and, and not realize that it exists and, and stuff. So anyway, yeah. if you can just talk a little bit about that side of things. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's been quite a path of change out there. Um, when we first started with the, the warehouse, we didn't do it from uh, where Jen lived because she lived in a tiny little rental apartment. Um, but we did rent, we rented basically like this guy had a warehouse where he made like surfing clothes and it was out in uh, Orange County where my sister lives. That's why our warehouse is out there. She's just not moving to New York ever. <laughs> um, you know, she's just a really yep. into the sun and Understood. that lifestyle and everything. So, and you know, it seemed like, why not? That's what, you know, the internet is for. You can be kind of work together even if you're not together we had we found this guy had a little loft in the upstairs of his warehouse and it was tiny I probably I don't know not even 400 square feet and we had you know some shelves with product on it and a camera and you know we're trying to figure out how to even use the camera and how to get a photo online. And I mean, it was just, oh, we yeah. had no idea what we we're doing, but we just made it work. But so it was really, really tiny. And then the guy, I think his name was Tony. He kind of went out of business and they were like, do you want to take over his lease? And we're like, Oh, can we really afford those? But we just, we did it. So then we moved into that space and then we kind of started just growing and she got a friend started helping her out a couple times a week, you know, and then we hired this other girl and she worked there for quite a few years. And then we um, moved into a bigger space in the same warehouse, like development park. Um, and we stayed in that space for a really long time. We just started adding warehouses to it because they're, they're like these tiny little almost like a little garage and they're all adjacent to each other and you could just like Add cut them. a hole in the wall <laughs> and go I into see. the next one over. <laughs> so, and we, we just started growing, you know, and got a little better at all the things we were doing a couple of years ago. Now, about three years ago, we finally, we had to, you know, we had upgraded our website a few times between then between the beginning and three years ago, but, it was always on this like custom built platform and um, we had just a guy who did it um, who worked with us for a really long time, but it was um, we really just had to move onto a more modern platform. 
And so we went through a process of totally redesigning the website and getting on a modern web platform and, you know, all this sort of e-commerce stuff. And so we did that three years ago and that was pretty, that was a huge change in the business from a technology point of view. And um, it definitely changed the way that we sell things and, um, you know, and sort of, it just like all kept kind of growing in these organic ways. So that was a big change that was like a deliberate change. And then eventually about, I think it's two years ago now, we realized we really needed to move the warehouse into um, a bigger space um, that wasn't all these like piecemeal little places put together because we just didn't have enough room and it seemed um, not it, very efficient. Yeah, not efficient, and it, it just—it also—it wasn't—it wasn't very nice. Like the warehouse space itself was kind of depressing, and you know we have assembled a pretty solid team out there over the years, and it, we just felt it was time to get a space that really reflected our our business, the qualities of the business, the things we cared about. We found this new space and it was actually a little bigger than we probably would have gotten, but it's beautiful. Um, and we were able to just paint the whole thing white and move our stuff in. And it's just this big open space and it's quite inspiring. I just, I finally had time to go out there at Thanksgiving last year um, after we moved in. I had only been there before we moved in before that. And it was amazing how big it is and all that, especially compared to our New York world. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know I want to go back to the site redesign a little bit because it does really sound as though, I mean, I know how intensive and expensive and also just overwhelming and all encompassing and a site redesign like that can be. Um, but it's so incredibly important. It sounds like to the the health and wellness of the business as a whole. And um, so very, very much worth doing. But, um, but I know you've said that, that the you wanted the site to sort of reflect as closely as possible what it's actually like to experience coming into the store. So like mm-hmm. being on the site is is like a, a mirror of being in the store. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that's a, a pretty unique and interesting way of thinking about a website. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the store, we always, you know, Paige and I both were stylists for a long time. And, you know, just people who care about visual stuff. And so this shop was always, we tried to just make it really beautiful and have like a, a vision in the store that was appealing. So when we when we did the new website, we wanted to communicate that same feeling. And I mean, it was overwhelming <laughs> to redesign the site because it, it was really like soup to nuts. So like every single thing we had ever done, mm-hmm. getting it all in one vision because we had had so many different pieces coming in throughout the years um, onto the website and it just it wasn't a whole you know it was like a lot of little bits and so creating that feeling of like having a whole and I think we often sometimes forget part of the issue was making people realize that the blog then called Pearl B and the e-commerce site were were the same company and Mm -hmm. 
that was part of this um, new website was trying to integrate the two worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's so, talk a little bit about that. So the Pearl B was it was the name of the blog. Now, all of those tutorials, and there's lots and lots of them. And there's, you know, knitting, crochet, sewing, general crafting, weaving, embroidery, there's lots and lots of online content, that's, you know, very fine, very beautifully done. Um, and some of it's, you know, really gone viral, um, and has been pinned a bazillion times. And, you know, is lots and lots and lots of people have have sewn or knit, you know, some of these items. Um, and those tutorials are, I just want to maybe talk a little bit about like the role that they've played mm-hmm. in the business yeah. and sort of mm-hmm. who, who creates them and why they're important. Because I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's maybe a, a piece that some um, retailers miss, like, well, why would I put a free tutorial online? Like, yeah. well, for what? You well, know? Yeah. it's interesting. I almost like, there's so much to talk about in our business. I almost like forget about the role of that. But yeah, you know, when the like if you go back to the early days in the shop, um, you know, like I was saying before, it was such an important part of the vision to teach people how to do things and to welcome people in and be like, here, you can make this and like help people put together a project. And, you know, when we would have customers come in the shop, that was what we did. You find out what they want, you talk to them, you help them find the right thing in the right pattern and the right yarn and the right tools and put it all together. And then you help them learn the techniques and then they go and do it. And then that's how, that's how we would do it in the shop. And when we had the website at first, I was realizing like, how do we get that? Like people don't just buy yarn because if they don't know what it is, like where do you give the content of what to do with it? And how do you make that contact with people? And, you know, back then, blogs were kind of new. And there, I was able to just kind of put one together um, on the fly. And I did it one night, you know, and then started the blog of like, oh, we should help, we should give pictures of ideas and how to do things. And, you know, that was kind of the way to connect with customers and it was just kind of, it wasn't, um, I mean, obviously it was intentional because we made the effort to do it, but it, I think ultimately that became like our voice. It became that began to drive the whole business. Mm-hmm. That That's really, I joined because I remember you and I sitting there talking and you had done it like one or two things um on it and I think because of our background at Martha Mm -hmm. where it really was about teaching things to people to do things in the most success or to set them up for success and in an aspirational way so we realized yeah just showing people how to do things in the clearest way possible when it came to what we call the how-to photos and the tutorials and yeah photographing them in a beautiful way with beautiful materials and yeah I think we both were it was so obvious to both of us like this is like publishing Mm -hmm. um but without the machinery of publishing you know like we can do it Mm -hmm. um and so it was really it was fun exciting and it changed everything because 
In fact, like not only were people coming to the store and saying, oh, I'm at Pearl Soho, they were coming in and saying, oh, I'm at the Pearl Bee, you know, and it was sort of right. um, giving a context for the store rather than the store giving it a context. And so it, in that totally changed our business. I mean, it, it, it became our business mm-hmm. yeah. so, and it still is. And so you know, now, um, putting it all together in one vision on the website, um, was really hard because it, it was very homemade though, like technically, you know, on the back end, oh, sure. the, you know, and yeah, I think Joel and I just really believe that if you elevate the photos, even on the e-commerce side, mm-hmm. you know, it's really respecting the product or the material, whatever it is mm-hmm. you're photographing and gives the customer a, a wonderful experience while looking for it because the world was changing so quickly digitally where, mm-hmm. you know, because I think so many people said, oh gosh, you know, this e-commerce stuff, like there will always be products that people want to touch and feel in person and not buy online. But by, you know, Joelle and I would photograph the products ourselves on, you know, a, a pretty surface. And again, just may, I, over the years, we still are quite hard on ourselves. Like, oh, you know, th- those photos just aren't inspiring. Let's reshoot those, you know. So it's always been very important for us. Right. And you're able to overcome that sort of resistance or I don't know, sort of answer back to that idea that, um, you know, people aren't going to buy things online that they can't touch and feel themselves, especially things like fiber, you know, like Mm -hmm. yarn or fabric or things like that. They have to be able to come in the store and feel them themselves. And, and yes, of course, that experience is wonderful and there's nothing, nothing's going to ever replace that experience. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I think you're correct in saying that certainly, um, having the how-to online and then the, the beautiful photo, the beautifully styled photo, um, it's it's pretty darn good for people who are never going to be or not right now going to be in Soho, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and have you seen that change sort of um, seep out into the wider world, wider world of craft of yarn and and fabric in the time that you've been in business. I mean, it seems as though it was you were uniquely positioned to understand this given your backgrounds and where you came from as stylists and came from from Martha Stewart together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, and and you kind of realized about e-commerce and being online early as well. But um, I'm wondering whether you feel like you've maybe you've played a role in and also in helping to raise that standard, or I don't know if you see yourself in that way at all. But have you watched it change? You know, just sort of in a bigger way. Oh yeah, I mean, it has changed. It's um, you know from those early days on. Online, you know, before we opened our site and I was kind of looking around at the websites that were there and all all of the photography and everything till now, the world has changed. We have changed, you know, even though, you know, our early days, like I may have come from Martha Stewart and then I'm standing there in my own little tiny loft warehouse with my sister trying to take a photo it was a very different experience than having a really um, professional photographer take a photo of something 
um, you know, <laughs> properly. And even for us, it, things have changed so much, you know, from our early days of trying to communicate beauty till now. And I am sure we'll continue to change. I mean, I'm sure we've had definitely some impact on the industry. You know, even even when opening the shop, the first time I ever went to buy product for the shop, like you couldn't really find natural fibers that easily and stuff. And you can see now that you can buy natural fibers. In fact, you can buy even the most amazing artisanal, like single sheep yeah. fiber. You know, it's like gone so far beyond um you know it's just incredible and and you know i'm we're part of it we're definitely part of it i'm you know yeah and i know you've um now got your own brands right your Mm -hmm. own brands of yarn do you have your own brands of fabric or no Mm -hmm. Uh, well we have one in the um in the developer (laughs) should be we're hoping to launch a fabric line this summer we'll see Okay, so I'm just wondering about that move. Um, it seems really interesting. And um, I know, I mean, you're not alone, certainly in having your own brand of, of yarn. And there are definitely other um, shops that have done it and done it successfully. Um, and, you know, it certainly makes the shop a real destination because you're going to get this, you know, unique um uh, fiber that you can't find elsewhere. It's this shop's, you know, uh, unique brand. Um, but mm-hmm. it, um, talk a little bit about the decision to do that and some of the considerations that went into it. Well, um, you know, it's a, it's a highly complex decision with a lot of layers to it. But if we, if you kind of go back to the thing we were talking about of the blog, really driving the business and kind of creating like we're kind of following our blog like along of like what do we need to make this grow and one of the things that we were having a hard time with early on with the blog was um if we make you know we one of the things about the content is we we really um try to make our content like evergreen um to the best degree that we can and People come to those pages, you know, for years and looking for project ideas and they would click on the link to the product. And if um, the product is no longer available or the colors go out of stock or, you know, whatever. Um, Which is what we, happens with yarn and with fabric, especially yeah, quilting cottons constantly. constantly. Yeah, it's always constantly. the second it hits the shelf, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the quilting fabrics. Um, and you find it with yarn too, not to the same degree, but like colors would disappear and, and yarn lines would occasionally go. That was making it really hard for us because we would not, you know, we'd put all this effort into our content and then it would be kind of irrelevant and you know the even though most of our content is like free for people to use it's not free for us to make it and it's got to drive sales right like the point of the content you know it's got the you've got to be able to click over and buy that exact thing 
right? I mean, that's important, you know? Well, it's the only way, yeah, we that's, can afford to do it. Right. Yeah. Besides, that's yeah. what it's and, for. And we just do it in such a thorough way that, yeah, it takes a lot of resources. And I know that like people who have visited, I haven't been to Pearl Soho in a few years, but I know I have a few friends who were there just really recently. And they said that the the fabric section has been, has like, kind of scaled back. And I'm wondering, is that just, is that overall or is that just in preparation for the new fabric that's about to come down the line? No, it's, it is overall. Okay. And it's really, it, you can, di- it's a direct result of this exact um, okay. issue because the, the quilt fabrics in particular, you just, you can't make anything with them on in our context um, and make a project with it and expect it to be there. Even like, um, even like solids, right? Even yeah, the solids? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can with solids. And yeah. so we make a lot of stuff with Liberty because we feel that the Liberty, it's, it's very yeah. consistent. Even if it's a new print, there's something that you feel is very similar about it. But um, it, it just, the, the really fast turnover of the prints and stuff made it really hard to make our model work for it. And so... And then also, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but fabric, you know, it's kind of ubiquitous now, like all those quilt fabrics, you can get them online anywhere. And it's really hard to kind of say like, this is our vision. If, you know, the quilt fabric is all about the person who designed it, or you can also buy it at Amazon or fabric.com or like whatever the other companies are. And so we just started kind of narrowing down the quilt fabric collection because of that. And we've introduced fabrics now that are that are timeless that we can consistently bring in every time. And you know, we have a lot of linens and iridescent weaves and these beautiful colors and solid color linens and mm-hmm. um and then the fabric we're introducing now we've been working on for quite a while. We're really hopeful it's going to come together the way that we want it to. We'll and see. When is that launching? Is that in a few months? I'm yeah, excited to see summer. it. Yeah, this summer. And okay. It, it's, um, you know, I don't really want to go into too much detail. Sure, sure. It's, um, it's a collection of co- uh, solids. Okay. But it's mm-hmm. a, it's a cotton, yeah, and um, we think it's really beautiful. Yeah, so we're hopeful it'll be everything that we've seen in the samples and stuff like that. Um, That's exciting. So yeah. hopefully we'll you know start also adding more content back for sewers and stuff like that as well. Right, because a lot of the more recent content has been for knitting because that was more what you could solidly depend on. <laughs> Um, yeah. And yeah. developing fabric is really hard because of the scale of it. You know, like the way those quilting manufacturers, the the quantity of fabric you have to produce to it's make. High. The, yeah, it's, it's just high. totally outside of our we can't do that. So we've had to find our own way to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So you'll see. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I wonder if you um, would be willing to talk about um, sort of uh, if there's been you know any big sort of I don't know mistakes or things that you times when you've done something and you've and and you've had to sort of backtrack you know things that have been like a 
I don't know, a dead end or something along the way. I mean, I think the reality of owning a business is that that, that does happen. You know, you get excited and you think, Oh, this is, this is going to be the next thing and we're going to, we're going to do this. And then you, you do it. And, um, and then it, and then it's just, no, <laughs> it's just the wrong yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've had, if that anything comes to oh. mind. Well, I mean, I think yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. Like, every day practically <laughs> in you know different degrees um that is the nature of having a business is you're constantly trying things and some things work and you just kind of keep adding resources towards it and other things don't and you you just kind of like okay you know you have to call it and just like rip off the band-aid and say like hey we're done with this like whether it's in the middle of producing something and you can't get the pricing you want or mm -hmm. it's an idea you had that you see is not really fruitful that's already on the market and you just kind of let it die or you know put it on sale or whatever mm -hmm. um, but it's I think that is what business is and it's it's very um it's really hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, know, you can't let your emotion like be the thing that directs you. Yeah. And mm -hmm. do you have any tips too for staying friends? I mean, the two of you <laughs> have been business partners for, I don't know. 11, it's 11 years 11, now. Yeah, that's more than yeah. a decade. It's a long time. And, um, you know, obviously you met as friends and, you know, um, but it's really different to be in a business relationship. And um, I mean, I have a business partner for my other business, Craft Industry Alliance. And I, I know you, you sort of feel like it's like your work wife, you know, this is like you <laughs> being in a marriage to a degree. And um, in some ways, it's more intense than a marriage, because there's all this money involved, and <laughs> lots of decision making. And um I don't know. So I just wondered if there, if you have any thoughts on how you sort of stay connected with one another. We, yeah. Who wants? You want? Who wants to answer it? We definitely refer to each other as um, our work spouses, um, work wives, and uh, and I, I think that we would both say we've we've come a long way because it it, it is hard. It, it really is. But I think that um, just respecting each other like the more you work together the longer you're together the the more you just know each other we can sense each other's feelings without us even saying anything mm -hmm. and I think respecting that because so much of our time is spent in meetings with others and I think just supporting one another even if we might disagree and then having the discussion afterwards just completely trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes and, and knowing where they're coming from and, and compromising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is really hard. I think because we did, you know, this partnership form because we were friends, we didn't just kind of start a part business partnership based on, you know, if two business people just came together and said, Oh, you have those skills that I'm missing. And I have right. the ones you're missing. And like, we're like a puzzle mm -hmm. and we're going to, you know, start this business together. I think we both, you know, we came together as partners in this business because we both, we see so much of the same things and we have such a shared vision in a lot of ways. And it is, it is like a, um, a marriage in that, in the way that um, it's like any relationship, it's very intense. 
And it's very hard. But we, I think, you know, like a long-term marriage, there's compromise, there's communicating, there's listening um, and supporting and, um, and understanding. And, you know, I think that we've really grown to, like Paige was saying, like, you know, being able to know what each other feels without even really having to talk about it. Um, and I think that that has been pretty, really good for us, like in the business, being able to like really understand each other. And, you know, when the going gets tough, we just like, we're there for each other. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But I think it is hard, you know, like, you have, I think people just need to know, like, it's as hard as being married. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I, I have found that to be true as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's good, but hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like very worthwhile. Yeah, it's worth it, but yeah. it's hard. Well, it can everything. also be hard. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And um, so tell me what's on your needles right now, or what's <laughs> like, what are you making? What, do, what, what, what was the most recent thing you made? <laughs> if it's not something, maybe you don't have time at this very moment, but... I I mean, I always have something on my needles. And my husband the other day was like, are you done with your knitting? And I was like, no, like, done with my knitting. Like, like, on what day is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is going to happen forever. Um, <laughs> but we just, we have this yarn called Goodwill is one of our products that is a, it's an undyed, like, kind of just a real basic earthy yarn that has it comes I think in five colors that are the natural colors of the sheep it comes from and it's kind of produced in this like eco-friendly way and everything and I we've had the product for a little over a year now and I've loved it since we got it but I I never had time to actually knit anything with it other than a, a swatch and over Christmas uh, time, I I finally knit with it. And I just, I was so blown away by how beautiful it is um, when you're knitting with it. It's this two-ply yarn, and it's quite fine. But, but you knit it, I think it's a size six or seven needle. And um, when you knit with it, just kind of like the fibers sort of open up because it's such a natural wool. And so I, I made this big triangular wrap that we actually shot after I made it. We're like, oh, here's the project. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just, I loved it so much that I'm making another one now in a different color of, a different color of off white slash brown yarn. <laughs> so, so that's what I'm working on. And I'm actually working on the same project. Uh, project but in one of our new colors of our linen quill which has been around for several years and it's one of our favorite yarns wool and linen and our new colors that are due to launch joelle help me i think in may okay yeah that's yeah. either late april or early may but it's yeah 17 new colors i think we just yeah. like went crazy <laughs> with the color palette and and i'm knitting with one of the craziest brightest colors and it just makes me happy I everyone's like will you really wear that because it's a big thing I said it's for me it's just the pleasure of knitting with this color to have it in 
in my life every day. Yeah, it's yeah. Incredible. And you might wear it. You never know, right? Yeah, I will. I will for sure wear it. <laughs> Especially in the winter when you need like color in your life, you know, yes. yeah, put it on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, Joelle and Paige, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshy Naps podcast. It was truly a pleasure to talk with you both. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. Yeah, it was really nice. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. This episode was sponsored by Needle Sharp. Needle Sharp wants to help you save time and energy by streamlining the process and letting you focus on what you really love. With their one-of-a-kind subscription sewing kits, they do all the hard work of gathering supplies so you can get right down to making your own clothes. And just for listeners of this podcast, they're offering an exclusive discount of 15% off your first order of a subscription box. Simply use the coupon code WALSHINAPS, all one word, at checkout. That's so awesome. Thank you so much, Needle Sharp. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.